Welcome to Outside by Design, the podcast about the business side of creativity in the outdoor industry. I talk to some of our industry's finest leaders, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and creatives about crafting a life and a career based upon being outside. Hi, welcome back to the Outside by Design podcast featuring people who mindfully live their life outside and showcasing the business side of creativity in the outdoor industry. So um, this is where we speak to a lot of creatives and marketing managers and all kinds of interesting people doing cool things across the outdoor industry. And it's a whole lot of fun to talk to all these amazing people. I'm your host, Lisa Slagle. I own a creative agency called Wheelie. We're hitting 10 years in business coming up, so I've been putting a lot of time and effort into how to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, which is exciting. But enough about that. Let's get into the episode. Today, I have the honor of speaking to mega creator Andrew Muse. And if you guys don't know Andrew Muse, you should follow that guy on Instagram, Andrew underscore underscore Muse, before the podcast even starts so that you can see photos and video of him and his dog, Kicker. Um, But Andrew is kind of one of those rare guests for the podcast. I've never met Andrew in person. Most of the time, I've at least met the people I speak with. And I've been following Andrew for years. And basically, because this dude likes golden retrievers as much as I do, so uh you know that's going to be some good content. And I'm just so excited to speak with Andrew for the first time. And he's just a really genuine, happy person. And if you're someone who's mindfully living their life outside and just have a philosophy to be happy and work hard, you're going to really, really identify with Andrew and his words are going to resonate because this guy is constantly creating beautiful content, working with big brands like GoPro, Rossignol, the Travel Channel, Outside TV. And Andrew describes himself as a professional multi-sport athlete, content creator, and social media influencer. I would simplify that and describe him as just a damn good human being. So check it out and enjoy. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, And most of all, happy birthday to Kicker. I know, it's crazy. Three years old. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, what did you guys do to celebrate? Uh, We were down in Moab um, running around. We did some climbing and uh, my girlfriend made him a a cake and got him a bunch of toys. (laughs) That's cute. Yeah. Lucky dog. Yeah, he has it pretty good. Yeah, so... First question we always ask our guests is to describe your setting and tell us where you are and what state you're in. So I'm in Park City, Utah. I've been based out of here for the last 10 years. Uh, I moved out here from Massachusetts when I was 18. Um, and I'm in my little studio above garage apartment um, that I've been living in for about the last year. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Which also is my office and gear storage and editing bay all that stuff and in, in a little studio but it works it's really nice actually i love it here perfect and then for people who don't know you um tell our audience what you do and how you got to where you are today that's a really long answer <laughs> yeah, it's a long story. Um, 
so I grew up in Massachusetts and I wanted to pursue a life that made me happy. I kind of was raised in a situation that I didn't know a whole lot of terribly happy adults. And I knew that skiing and snowboarding was sort of my passion. So I wanted to be a heli ski guide or a professional snowboarder were sort of my um, first dreams. And uh, so I applied everywhere out west, not having known, not having been west of New York and landed in Park City, Utah with my best job opportunity and ski patrolled for a little bit. Um, I ended up uh, kind of having a bumpy road as I got here. Um, I was 18 years old, flew in, sitting at the airport, waiting to pick up my baggage. And I get a phone call from the person I was renting from. I had already mailed my deposit, signed a lease. I get this message saying, hey, man, uh, the place fell through. Sorry. So I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I know one person through couchsurfing.com who ended up helping me out. And I found a place, but kind of off to a bumpy start. Yeah. And uh, ski patrolled for a season and then I got fired my three days before I was supposed to start my second season because I ducked a rope line essentially onto a groomer and got caught by the public safety director and a, another <laughs> patroller and I got made an example of, oh my uh, which was honestly a blessing in disguise. Like I was crushed. I thought, you know, my dream path of being a, a heli ski and snowboard guide had you know, been killed at that moment. Um, but it turns out that was one of the best things that happened to me. I ended up waiting tables and having a lot more free time to ski and snowboard because I'd, you know, wake up first chair, have to be to work at four. So I'd get home, maybe shower, go to work. And, you know, I was just able to ski a lot more and made a little bit more money. Um, and that sort of allowed me to progress to where I am today. I guess I um, I, I bought a GoPro and, um, I'd always been interested in video editing and that friend who I had met through couchsurfing.com gave me this like really old school Mac that he was just going to throw out. It was one of those, the computer screens with like the big back that was sort of, uh, transparent, the different colors. Mm -hmm. And I was just, had started editing on iMovie and a GoPro and, really started to enjoy it and started to just document all the stuff that I was doing. And that sort of led small breadcrumbs of success and, and edits that were doing well. And I ended up becoming involved with Rosignol, made friends with, I mean, they're based out of Park City. So I kind of made friends with the made snowboard guy and cut a bunch of stickers for my first snowboard. And then the content thing started to progress and grow and I got better and started, you know, I bought like a MacBook and um, as I was waiting tables, I just sort of started growing this, um, content creator sort of, um, path, I guess. Um, and it was very much, um, like just working to, to build this thing without really knowing that it was going to transpire into like a full-time gig. And, uh, yeah, that's sort of the, the foundation. I just, started creating content and documenting all of my experiences. And I'd sort of developed a, a multifaceted skill set between snowboarding, skiing, kiteboarding, um, climbing, mountain biking, rope swing, just adventure stuff. I just really enjoy being outside, pushing my limits and now like documenting and telling a cool story about um, the adventures of that day or that experience and sharing it with people and 
it sort of led me to now. Um, I'm a full-time, well, <clears throat> I'm an athlete for Rosignol, a snowboard athlete. I got to travel to Japan the last two years and film with Xavier De La Rue and the rest of the the athletes, um, the top athletes at Rosignol and the kiteboard for Ozone and just sort of just worked really hard and, and paid a lot of dues to just get my foot in the door with these brands. And um, so I do that. And that's like a small part of my income um, content. I do a bunch of content for brands like GoPro, Maverick, which is like a big gas station brand in Utah. Um, done some stuff with Travel Channel, Outside TV, and kind of the list is, has gone on and on. And then sometimes I'm a photographer, sometimes I'm a videographer, sometimes I'm an editor. It just kind of depends on the day and, and how I can keep sustaining this lifestyle that I've tried to build. Um, but yeah, so far it's 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 been a, a wild experience and oh, exceeded my expectations tenfold. Yeah, it's it seems like you're always doing something awesome or always creating beautiful, beautiful content. <clears throat> um and so I got to ask you, is there any sport you don't do? Um, I'm terrible at basketball <laughs> and I haven't learned to scuba dive yet. Um, and I'm sure there's a handful of other things, but scuba diving's on the list. I'm currently um, trying to hone in my paragliding skill set a little bit better. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I kind of like to do everything. Jack of all trades, master of none, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, what's your What's your life philosophy? It seems like you are genuinely a very happy person, and you're always doing these stories where you're smiling a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, like anybody, I have my own internal struggles. Um, but I mean, my goal since very young was just to be happy, to do what I love, and try and make that work, and try and make that a part of my life. Um, I think right now I'm in very much like a, not a career oriented uh, mindset, but um, one of the things I kind of, one of my mantras is just, if you can work harder than everybody else, you're bound to be successful. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing and what a lot of people are, are doing, what you see on social media is a very much um, appeals to a lot of people. And I'll get a lot of questions like, Hey man, how do I get into what you're doing? I'm like, just work harder than everybody else and you'll be successful. Um, so yeah, just, do what you love. Um, I think hard work, positive attitude, and sacrifice go a long way. Nice. Do you share a mattress with someone and one, one person likes the mattress soft and squishy and the other person likes the mattress to be hard, like they're sleeping on the floor? There's mattresses out there for that. I don't know what they are. But I can tell you about a great creative agency, Wheelie Creative, where we know nothing about mattresses and everything about branding. Uh, we believe that life should be lived, felt, and shouted from mountaintops, and therefore Wheelie is a new school creative agency for people who thrive outside. We do branding, strategy, content, tons of video work, tons and tons of product launches really just an amazing crew of human beings that work at Wheelie, wheeliecreative.com. You won't regret it, and we know nothing about mattresses. And I'm curious about your creative process. 
do you, because you are always outside and kind of working with the weather and working with the situation. Um, so do you go out there with a plan for, and like a shot list or do you kind of organically live and then you kind of look through your footage afterwards and see what kind of storyline you can pull out? How does that work for you? You know, it's kind of a balance. There are times that I have a shot list, but it's pretty rare. I usually have just a vision of like, okay, this story needs a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, and I've, I film so much all the time. And every time I go out, I'm always like missing something or I could have shot it this way. So it's always a learning process. There's a lot of trial and error. So, um, you know, they'll, I'll, I'll review my footage and say, oh man, like had I shot this one moment, it would have made the story a little bit better. But with editing, you know, there's always, you're always sort of pivoting and making it kind of work. Um, I could probably be better at establishing a shot list, but usually it's, it's pretty organic. I'll have a general idea of like the feel and the moment, but you know, weather is always very unpredictable. Sometimes the adventure we set off on ends up being impossible due to conditions or weather or or whatever it might be. So there's, you know, you just have to be malleable and, and be able to like pivot in the moment and, uh, there are times when that's super frustrating and I'm like all irritated because, you know, I had this vision and it didn't come together, but then I have to like take a step back and then maybe the flat the the flat tire becomes part of the story and and like it becomes a much more like engaging, relatable experience than just this like perfect adventure without any sort of issues. Um, People like to see a, a more relatable side of things I've learned. So sometimes, uh, the speed bumps in the road can be like a blessing as far as content goes. Just to have to remember to stop and film it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. How do you how do you manage all your footage? I'm sure that you just have hard drive after hard drive after hard drive. You got any secrets to that? Yeah, my my desk right now has probably whew, close to 50 terabytes of of footage sitting on it, um, which is ridiculous. Um, and a lot of footage I shoot doesn't see the light of day. And I have stuff I've shot that's probably pretty cool. That's just sitting on a hard drive and it's been there for the last year. And I'm like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to have time to edit this someday, but today is not that day. Um, basically right now on my desk, I have a, I have three 16 terabyte hard drives that are set up as a raid one. This might be getting too technical, but basically it's good. It's it's split into two eight terabyte hard drives, and it mirrors the um, the data. So, say if one of the uh, eight terabyte hard drives fails, I still have it backed up. It's not the most high end setup. I know people have much more advanced and reliable setups, but I kind of just uh, cowboy stuff a lot of the time, and I, I've had pretty good luck with it. So. And uh, the way I organize my footage, the way I break it down is um, photo or video, and then by the day in sort of a chronological order, like, and I just do one for that hard drive. So like the first day, you know, one being Moab, and then I'll break it down to day one, day two, day three, and then within that cameras. So I shoot with a GH5S, GoPros, um, Mavic typically, so I'll break it down that way. And then I can just throw that into my editing software and I sort of know where most of the the content should be. I'm sure there's better ways out there. So if you have any ideas, let me know. <laughs> oh, 
I'm always fascinated because I, I own a creative agency. So I have like five people that are constantly creating content. And I feel like all I do is buy hard drives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm definitely not the most organized person. And this has been a progression over the last probably eight years. And I've finally figured out a workflow or a, an organization strategy that seems to be pretty good for me. But I would love to, to learn more about other people's setups because, like I said, I just kind of hack my way through this. <laughs> and, and you got to stay mobile for in your case. You yeah. Know, you can't so, be like totally weighed down, tied into some server. Yeah. Our, uh, right now, the apartment I have, the editing studio is great, but I'm definitely starting to feel domesticated at the moment. And mm -hmm. we are currently working on putting together a new um, adventure vehicle that I'll be living out of full time and working out of full time for the next couple of years, probably once it's finished. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yeah. it's It's been a, a slow, slow process, unfortunately, but um, we're making progress. Hopefully, uh, <clears throat> essentially, we're, we're trying to build an Earthroamer concept for less than a tenth the price, um, which if you've seen an Earthroamer, they're essentially a $500,000 expedition vehicle. They're absolutely insane. Um, and we found this fiberglass guy to build us the just the shell and we're, we'll do all like the interior work, but he's three months behind schedule and it's not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I guess that can go in part of your process. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll make for a more dramatic story, if anything, I suppose. Everything works yeah. out the way it should. Yeah. So, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you take Kicker along on all your adventures pretty much. So um, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, pretty much. Any Anything I can keep him happy and safe on and operate within my comfort zone, he comes along. And did you just start him out as a puppy doing that? And then he... Um... Yeah. Yeah. So you, you know that part of the story. I don't want to dive too much into it, but... Uh, I had been, it's kind of hard not to dive into it, but I had been filming a, a, a 12 episode, six month travel series with my previous dog on the way home. I was in a horrific, absolutely horrendous car accident and I lost everything. I lost my dog and I thought my life was like totally, totally over me and I'd lost. I had invested everything I had into this series. All of my belongings were in this vehicle. And I lost my dog, Booter, who was like my freaking soulmate. He was such an incredible pup. And uh, we had been traveling together and filming and doing this sort of adventure lifestyle. And um, my my plan, my, my dream was to come back to Park City and film a season two, something a little bit more sustainable as season one was sort of the pilot series, the proof of concept to give to brands. I was hoping to do a season two and after the car accident, I thought my life was totally ruined and destroyed and never, you know, would never be the same after 10 years of trying to build this life. And the community reached out and brands and, and all these kind of pieces to the puzzle came back together. And I'm definitely paraphrasing a much longer, like hour long story. But um, at the scene of the accident, one of the firefighters, the only person that like really helped me through it, like, the paramedics were like, oh, you've got some climbing gear. I used to climb, da, da, da. And like, meanwhile, my life is like shattered. I'm like, I don't want to hear about your fucking climbing history. Like, just leave me alone. Like, I just want to die. Like, and uh, anyways, this firefighter came over and just kind of quietly put his arm around my shoulder. He's like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. Like, I get it. 
I've had dogs, I've lost dogs, like, and just was the only person that understood what I was going through. And, um, he, we ended up staying in t- in contact because I wanted to share the series with him because I wanted him to see like how special Booter was and how special our relationship was. And we stayed in contact and, um, a few weeks later, he calls me up one day and he's like, Hey man, like, I want to, you know, have a really interesting opportunity for you, but I want to share a story with you first. And basically when he was my age, he had lost like the best dog he could have ever imagined. And his parents ended up getting him a dog when he didn't feel like he was ready. Um, and how much that actually helped him heal and helped him move on from losing the most incredible dog he had ever had. So I was sort of in a place where my life was coming back together and I'm a huge, um, I don't know if advocate of people only getting dogs when they can give it the best life possible. And I wasn't in a place just yet. So I held off and, um, GoPro reached out. They wanted to do season two and my other sponsors, Rosignal, Maverick, and a few other people were like, yeah, we'll, we'll support you on a more like sustainable level. Um, so all these things sort of came back together and I ended up getting this, this new van that I was going to live in and travel in. And then kicker, I went and saw a kicker and picked them out and kind of everything came back together right as we were about to set off on essentially season two of the tiny home adventure. And that's when we, we basically from kicker as this little nugget, this eight week old puppy, um, moved into this adventure van and we started off, you know, skiing in my jacket and kiteboarding in my jacket to when he could, you know, run a little bit, he would run in the snow and I would carry him the rest of the way. So he started off <laughs> with a very, very adventurous lifestyle and he was introduced to all these kind of wild activities very early on. So that's, it's kind of a longer answer, but yeah, that he, he definitely was was thrown into the adventure lifestyle immediately and took it in stride. Like he he had a blast. It was so cool when I got him home. I was worried like that he might not be this adventure dog. And I got him oh. home and there was like six inches of snow and I set him down and he went crazy. So yeah, he's he's a good pup. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> That's I th- I think it's nice that you share that story and talk about it because I think it makes you a very real person with a very robust story. Um, you know, and I think a super and lucky people, person. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and pe- people across the nation were following that. And like, um, it was strange timing for me watching that story. I had just lost my OG golden retriever, like my first dog I'd had for 10 years. And um, then I ended up getting a puppy right around the same time you did. So I'm on my second golden as well. And I thought that like, oh, I've spent 10 years like getting dialed with my first dog. And now mm-hmm. I'm like starting from scratch with this puppy. And, you know, I was kind of like annoyed at first because I was like, this dog doesn't know any of my language and mm-hmm. I have to start over. But it's been totally, totally good to see a person out a different dog. Yeah, that was definitely one of the harder things for me. I was like, you know, I, 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 I love dogs. I've wanted a dog in my life, you know, for the rest of my life. But like, how could this puppy ever live up to the same level as, as Booter? And I didn't want to hold, you know, kicker to those same standards. And, yeah. um, you know, there are definitely times of like frustration and, um, 
you know, unfair, almost like, I don't want to say resentment, but I was just like in a, in a tough place, but it, you know, immediately he started to progress and learn and he had his own personality and he's an, an incredible dog and now kicker's three and he's really figured it out. Like that connection, that language is, is, is all there. And, um, yeah, that's just, it's part of it. Dogs are incredible and I hope to have a, a dog for the rest of my life. Yeah, dog people need dogs. Yeah, totally. Do you ever feel like there's too much to do in one day? Between the work and the family and the skiing and the skiing and the mountain biking and the skiing, there's just too much to do and you don't have time to go to the grocery store? Well, guess what? There's a solution where you can get food ordered to your door. It's awesome. But you know what's even more awesome? WheelieCreative.com. It's a creative agency for outdoor brands. We believe that life should be lived, felt, and shouted from mountaintops. And Wheelie is a new school creative agency for people who thrive outside. You thought you were going to hear about some type of food delivery service, but I fooled you into listening to another Wheelie Creative commercial. So check it out, wheeliecreative.com. Branding, strategy, design, all kinds of good stuff for the outdoor industry. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so cool to see you guys doing all kinds of activities together. It's really, really incredible. Yeah, it's a it's a good relationship. Definitely the the spirit of Booter lives on and and Kicker, no doubt. Yeah. And Kicker is a good looking dog. <laughs> He's a stud. Yep. He's smelly though. Don't let him fool you. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Is uh for you, what's your deciding factor on like when you won't take Kicker on an adventure? Because I know you're an awesome dog owner and really selective on what adventures you'll bring him on. Yeah, so I definitely will only bring my dog if I'm operating well within my skill set and my um, sort of comfort zone. Um, you know, if it's something that I'm going to struggle with or that I'm unsure of or if I haven't done before and I'm pushing my limits at all, like I want to make sure I'm putting us in a situation that you know, doesn't compromise his safety, um, or like, you know, comfort to a high degree. Like he's, uh, he's very competent in the mountains and hiking, climbing. He knows where the edges are. He's no, he knows he's not allowed to play near like the edges of things. If I, I mean, yeah, it's just sort of operating within my like comfortable skill set. And if, it, if, it's, if it's something I think that he could possibly, get hurt doing then we're just not going to do it mm-hmm. so nice nice yeah you guys seem to be pretty dialed at this point yeah he's uh he's funny he's a stud he, he loves he loves doing it all you know he doesn't love the snowmobile but sometimes it's just a means of transportation so he'll he'll load up you know kind of apprehensively he's like fine i'll get on the snowmobile mm-hmm. go out to this yurt and then we get out to the yurt and he's partying so He's happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Can he balance pretty well on the snowmobile? Yeah, he just, um, I'll kind of stand over him. He'll stand on the, in front of me and um, typically I'll have him in a harness and then I'll loop a leash back on itself. So it's sort of around my shoulders. So if you were to slip, I can just kind of like hoist him up with my shoulders and he plants himself and is happy. So it's usually pretty mellow on the, on the snowmobile. I don't actually yeah. ride it that much, but he yeah it's a means of transportation sometimes 
Absolutely. I, I have a sled and I'll drag my dog around with me just like that where he's in front of me. And I think his ears get cold if I go too fast. Like he just kind of oh, yeah. gets a little angry. So I got to slow down. You throw a necky on him. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you're always like producing on the fly, which I find fascinating. Like, how do you keep all your batteries charged? How do you like, how do you keep that editing bay going on the road? Yeah, that's a struggle, especially finding like internet access. Um, You know, I have sort of a bank of batteries. I've realized that it sort of makes sense to just have extra batteries than it does to charge everything every night. Um, and I sort of, I'll have like a, a box of batteries that are charged. And then when they're done, I'll kind of have a little discard pocket so that I know like those batteries are done and hopefully I can get through the, the shoot or whatever, the project that we're shooting, um, with those batteries. And then I'll, I'll go to a, a coffee shop and I bring like my laptop that has, uh, <clears throat> I'll bring an extension cord or, uh, a splitter or whatever they're called, a, a power strip mm-hmm. with all of my chargers basically already plugged in. And I'll just basically set up a table with like a big mega charging station. And as those are charging, I'll start processing the footage and the cards and ingesting all the footage and organizing. And, and you know, if I have to turn around and edit that quick, then um, just edit from the coffee shop or f- when I was living in the van from the van and just sort of... Um, Sometimes it's nice to have those days where you just need a break and you spend eight hours in a coffee shop. Um, you know, sometimes you're kind of weird, the weird guy with this giant setup going on, but you know, it's, it's fine. I just kind of, you know, work, work a lot. And then on those rest days, I'll, I'll edit and make sure that everything's sort of getting to where it needs to be. Yeah. Do you like, do you have really tight turnaround deadlines sometimes where you have to get like, event coverage or something like that where you're trying to kick stuff out within 24 hours typically yes um the most recent um the most recent paid project i did uh, i was just a filmer to deliver uh like raw content but then in the last minute they kind of threw in like oh we need x amount of clips for the media um, by 12 that morning so i had to like film till 12 at night go home and just all the footage put the footage sort of together, color grade it and export and upload before 12 that morning. And I was at a hotel, so the internet speed wasn't super fast. So I ended up having like, you know, it was up till two in the morning and I woke up at six to make sure everything was uploading properly. And some, yeah, a lot of the time it's, it's pretty tight turnarounds and I like to have all of my content stay pretty relevant Um, So I have a lot of self-imposed deadlines for things, especially within like the Tiny Home Adventure series. I was filming and editing and releasing everything in a two-week time frame per episode. So 12 episodes, six months, everything was being chopped up and released on a two-week, filmed, edited, and released in two weeks, which is a ton of work. Yes. And I I like that very much about your content specifically is it is really, it it feels very real time and like you're doing yellow leaves footage, you know, in fall, and it, it doesn't feel um, backlogged at all. And it, it feels really, really authentic. Yeah, I try to try to stay as relevant as possible. There's definitely, you know, lots of throwbacks and, and times where I, 
just, you know, I have so many uh, like awesome photos. And as soon as they're not like not relevant, I'm like, ah, maybe I won't post it. But sometimes they're just like too good not to, to, to just like leave them sitting in a hard drive and I'll, I'll post them later. Or I just need content. You know, there are times where I'm sitting down, I'm like, shoot, I need a post and what should I post? I don't know. And yeah, I don't know. It's a balance. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's uh, a lot of our listeners are like brand managers or people who work in editorial or different creatives overall, like what do you think brands in the outdoor industry could be doing better? Or like, what would you like to see happen in the industry? What's your advice to these brand managers? That's a, that's a tough question. I mean, conservation of, of land and all these incredible places would be huge. I think we should be trying to educate the public on um, sort of best practices and just teach people to clean up after themselves and to preserve these incredible spaces. Um, I don't know. I don't know as far as what the industry is doing. I kind of just focus on my own, my own things and try and and do the best that I can do. But uh, yeah, just maybe make things more accessible to people. I think the ski industry has become super inaccessible to you know, middle class to, you know, low income families. I mean, to spend 150 bucks for a lift ticket is absolutely insane. Um, so I think just opening up, you know, breaking down some of those barriers to entry for, you know, people. I was definitely grew up in a, um, you know, a less than ideal scenario. And I learned to ski through like a, a discounted after school program and that changed my life, being able to ski and snowboard and, and find something that I was super passionate about that, you know, I definitely, my family couldn't afford as a kid, um, changed the course of my life and very much, you know, for the better. And I based my life around this sort of like my passions now. Uh, so that would be sort of my advice is kind of help break down some of those barriers to entry for people, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a, yeah, that's a really good, good topic on uh, the cost of entry for skiing is, is really intense. (laughs) Oh, intense. I just, yeah, 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 it's crazy. Yeah. I remember buying my first snowboard. I worked at an ice cream shop and I saved all my tips and I was throwing $1 bills in this giant manila envelope and I went in and like just dumped it on the counter. Nice. I'm ready for my snowboard. That's probably an awesome feeling. Like, dumping the cash out like we're doing yeah. it <laughs> yeah and then i'm sure the shop kid was like oh you're the worst <laughs> no more than one dollar bills <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's uh that's cool so what's your what's your future look like you're working on this earth roamer type vehicle mm-hmm. what's what's next what else you got going on um yeah, so the immediate future is trying to get this vehicle done. Um, we have a project in San Francisco and Yosemite next week, and then I'm going to Svalbard in, at the end of November um, with my this crazy person I met, James Asquith, who's like the youngest person to travel to all, all of the countries. He's like a Guinness Book of World Records holder, so going to Svalbard and then we're going to as far north as possible, like trying to get to the North Pole closer to winter. That's kind of weird and crazy. Um, yeah. He's uh, super intelligent, really, really smart businessman. And we're, we're 
he's trying to do this as a fundraiser for the cholera crisis in Yemen, which is a really, um, really like horrific situation they have right now. So we're trying to raise some money for that. But uh, long term, once I get back from those projects is to build out this vehicle. Um, one of the sort of the interesting elements to that that's sort of developed in the last few months is uh, my dad built when I was eight and I hadn't heard from him like anything from him for 20 years. So I'm going to and he's like a a really badass carpenter, I guess. And we've sort of had our relationship start to improve. He's going to come out and help me um, build this truck that we're trying to build. And then I want to do a season three and try and drive to like the southern tip of Argentina, if possible, and step way outside of my comfort zone. I don't speak Spanish well at all. Thankfully, my girlfriend does. So I've been trying to learn a little bit. And uh, yeah, long term goals. I mean, just kind of sustain what I'm doing. You know, someday I'd like to be able to buy a house. I don't know how I'm going to pull that off, but uh, buy a house and have family and have more dogs. And that's sort of life goal. Be happy, do cool stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Kind of all over the place, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's great. You're you're just a really good guy and I'm really grateful you were on the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people can follow you on Instagram. You're at Andrew underscore muse. It's uh two underscores. So it's at Andrew underscore underscore muse. Somebody already had okay. the first underscore. So Andrew underscore underscore muse um kicker has his own thing due to popular demand kickers is at kicker dog muse um but definitely instagram is like the most relevant that's where we post the most but i also have a ton of awesome content on youtube i think you can just search andrew muse and and see season one and two of the tiny home adventure and a bunch of other like one-off projects and pieces and yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot of fun entertaining content there Cool. Well, we will put those links in our show notes and hopefully people follow you along. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. It was a pleasure talking to you. So stoked Andrew was on the podcast. What a good dude. Uh, Drop what you're doing and go follow him on Instagram at Andrew underscore underscore muse. You won't regret it, especially if you love golden retrievers because man, he makes some good videos. Next week on the podcast, Iris, who works at Wheelie, has done an amazing job scheduling people, and I'm pretty sure she has scheduled Rachel Vandevoort, the director of Montana's Office of Outdoor Recreation. So that's going to be a good one because it's timely. November 6th is coming up, and we are going to talk about what's going on in Montana's primaries that people should be aware of from an outdoor recreational standpoint. So that's going to be an interesting one. And meanwhile, have an awesome week. Make good things, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.